Take your Bibles now and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, as we again look at the Ten Commandments. You know, as uh, Dr. McKelvey and I have been tag teaming in our preaching, Dr. McKelvey is going through 1 John, and I'm going through uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, that, is no, that is not the result of some master plan that he and I devised. It's just the way that the Lord worked it out. And we come to uh, a third examination of the fourth commandment. Third examination of the fourth commandment. Uh, and we're going to complete our study of that fourth commandment today. So let's once again read verses 8 through 11, or listen and follow along as I read verses 8 through 11 of Exodus chapter 20. <clears throat> Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. So we looked, uh, the first time that we started looking at the fourth commandment, uh, we talked about the biblical foundation, sort of an overview of what the Sabbath, uh, where it came from and what it's designed to, to be for us and, and for the Lord. And we saw in that first time together, you may remember that the Sabbath originated in creation. We have it here in the Ten Commandments, but it really is uh, hearkening back to the very uh, first week of the universe of the, of the creation where God uh, set aside that seventh day. He created everything in six days. He rested on the seventh day. Not that God was taking a celestial nap, but he was ceasing from the work of creation that he had done during those six days. And that is important for us to remember, of course, when we think about how we are to model uh, the, the uh, pattern there that God has established from the very beginning. We also saw that it uh, celebrates salvation. The Sabbath celebrates salvation in the light of Exodus 20. The Lord said, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery, out of Egypt. He delivered them. He rescued them. He saved them in a real sense. And then in the New Testament, of course, Christ is our deliverer from the bondage of sin. And so what happened in, with the people of God and as they uh, were rescued from Egypt was a, a type or a, a shadow, if you will, of the reality and the fulfillment of Christ delivering us from sin. So that's the second thing for the Sabbath. And the third thing was it anticipates glorification. There is an eternal Sabbath that you and I will enjoy continually forever. 
And when we come together like this, like we're doing right now, we are anticipating that. We're thinking this is a taste. This is a sampling. This is a, 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 a way to prepare us for our ultimate Sabbath. And we find that in Christ, we have true rest. You will never have real rest in your heart and in your life unless you come to Christ as Jesus himself bid us to do. Come to me and I will give you rest. He is our rest. And we rejoice in that when we worship and when we take this Sabbath day for that purpose. Now, then the, we began to narrow that down a little bit last time and we looked at the pattern for the whole week that God established here in Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Six days you shall work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath, a day of rest for you. Just as the Lord did it, so we are to do it. And so we talked about what that meant. And now we're narrowing our focus uh, down further to just thinking about the, the day itself this morning. What does this passage tell us about how we are to use the Sabbath? You know, we have to keep in mind that our calling as Christians is a distinctive calling. We are called to take this one day in seven. We're called to a number of things, but this is one part of it. We are called to take this one day in seven, now on Sunday, the Lord's day, when Christ was raised from the dead, and, and we are to use it and live on that day in a different way from the rest of humanity that hasn't yet come to know the, the blessings of salvation. And so it shouldn't be surprising when we get frustrated when we see people doing, treating this the Sundays just like any other day. And really, we shouldn't expect any different. That's, you know, they, they don't have that, that love for the Lord yet. Hopefully they will, but we see it all the time. And, and Sundays are just another day, sort of a catch-all day. But what really should concern us and make us think about ourselves, what about those who are professing Christians? What about those who are members of evangelical churches? I imagine you've had the experience of seeing professing Christians treat Sundays pretty much like non-Christians do. Many of them have been swept into the thinking of our secular culture. We are to be like, in our relationship, relationship to the fallen world, we are to be sort of like a ship in the ocean. The purpose of the ship in the ocean is for the ship to be in the water, but water not to be in the ship, right? We are to be in the world, but we are not to be of the world. And when it comes to how we take this first day of the week and how we use it, we need to really remember we're, we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to have people look at us and say, man, you're really weird. You, you're wasting a whole day by, by resting and going to church and all this. But the thing that really is disturbing is the fact that on your way to worship, on my way to worship, we might well see folks we know who are members of an evangelical church and we see them out there mowing their lawn on Sunday morning 
or getting out of their car at the grocery store or pulling out their uh, uh, golf clubs out of the trunk of the car to go play a round of golf on Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday during worship time. They don't really think much about it. <coughs> and that's not the way it should be. Now, we're not here to, to uh, pronounce judgment on them. The Lord will take care of that. But more importantly, what about us? How are we to use this Lord's day? And I suggest here three, I think, biblical principles. And first is there must be preparation. All four gospels speak of the day of preparation. The day of preparation was a Jewish practice for how you would do things on the day before the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, which would be Friday. And we're told that after Jesus was crucified, that uh, the women in particular and others were involved in the day of preparation. And you can read in, toward the end of all of the four gospels, each gospel writer's version of, of that. But just the fact that there was a day called the day of preparation should tell us something. Is there a kind of preparation that you and I are involved in when it comes to Sunday? Sometimes we find ourselves doing everything we can to just get everybody loaded up and dressed and loaded up and get to church and we're almost out of breath by the time we get here. And maybe there's been some really lively conversations on the way over here. Be that as it may, we do not keep this Jewish law, of course, uh, in the same way that uh, we would not keep the, any of the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament because Christ has done away with those. But the principle, we don't have an official day of preparation, but the principle of preparation certainly is good and wise. And the idea is prepare on Saturday for Sunday. And when I say prepare on Saturday, I don't mean take another Sabbath day, make Saturday another Sabbath day. No, but there are things that we can do that enable us to be primed and ready for worship when we come to the Lord's house on the Lord's day. There is physical preparation, for instance. How much sleep did you get last night? Or the, at least that you attempted to get. You know, if we... Uh, have a big celebration on Saturday night. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but if it keeps you up to one or two o'clock, or anything for that matter keeps you up to one or two o'clock that you might have had some control over, that's going to probably have an effect on how sharp you're going to be on Sunday. Simple thing. Make sure you get enough rest for the day of rest so that you can give your best on that day. What about meals on Sunday? It would be a wise thing, it seems to me, that uh, 
whatever meal you're going to have on main meal for Sunday, that you seek to prepare for that meal as much as you can on Saturday and just minimize uh, what would be involved in eating on Sunday. Of course, I know that there's some people say, well, I got that solved, I go out to eat. A lot of people do that. Uh, that's, uh, I would say at best, that's highly debatable. Uh, listen, a lot of ink has been spilled over what we can do and what we can't do uh, on Sundays. I'm trying to impress upon you, though, principles. And we'll get to a little bit more of that as we go here. Physical preparation. It's like uh, the instruments in an orchestra tuning up before they actually play in a concert. I always enjoyed that. You know, when, when uh, the, I think it's the violinist, uh, the first chair will, will hit an A on the violin. And everybody else, all their instruments will start playing that A. Uh, and I'll make sure that they're in tune. They do that before they actually start the program. We have to do that too. The Puritans used to talk about, pre, it's like preheating an oven where you get your body and spirit prepared. And that, of course, talks about the need for spiritual preparation as well as physical preparation. Primary thing there is prayer. Do you pray for the worship service before you ever get here? It's good to pray when you get here. Take some time uh, just to quiet your mind and heart and spirit and be very, very focused. But what about Saturday? For that matter, as you get closer and closer to Sunday, start praying more for the, the time that you'll be in worship. Praying for yourself that you'll be a true worshiper. Praying for everybody else that will be here worshiping with you. Praying for the people who will be leading the worship service. And certainly the Lord knows you need to pray for the preacher. Uh, as one preacher in this setup that we've got right now, uh, I covet your prayers and I'm always appreciative of those who tell me that they are praying for me. Uh, that's the key uh, for not just the preacher, but the whole worship service. Pray for our musicians. Pray for the elder who leads us in prayer and the reading through the Psalms. Anyone that's involved, we need to be praying for the Lord to bless that, to work. Not just that things go smoothly, sometimes they won't, but that, the things, that things will go well spiritually with the blessing of God. Prepare yourself. You know, in Psalm 23, excuse me, Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, there's a question that the psalmist asks, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? That's a good question. It's like, who's going to be able to come and worship God and really worship? And the answer is, in verse 4, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. 
In other words, someone who's living a holy life. You can't just waltz into worship with unconfessed sin and not having prayed. Uh, certainly, it's not going to be very beneficial for you if you haven't prayed or worshiped the Lord yourself since a week earlier when you were last in God's house. You need to be in a, in a pattern of daily communion with the Lord, right? We're supposed to pray every day. We're supposed to seek the Lord every day. And as we do that, we build ourselves up and prepare ourselves for what's coming on Sunday so that it won't be sort of a shock to our system. Oh, I've got to pray. We'll be ready to go. Dashing off to church without giving a thought to preparation for what you will be doing while at church is no way to get uh, to be at your best or to give the Lord the honor and glory that he should receive from us. Do you want to know why you struggle to engage in the elements of worship at times? Do you want to know why? Do you want to know why you, as often you said, you didn't get much out of the service today? Well, that could be the preacher's fault. That could be because of other things. Maybe you're not feeling well, who knows, but a lot of times it's just because we weren't prepared to worship. We weren't in a good spiritual frame of mind. So we ought to consider that when we evaluate how we are responding or how, how well we're doing as we worship. Secondly, there must be dedication. Preparation, dedication. And here I'm just simply saying we've got to really think seriously about how we use the Lord's day. Some people would say, oh, that's getting legalistic. You're trying to, to uh, you know, draw these little uh, guidelines where, you, oh, you can't do this, you've got to do that. And you start, the more you think about it, the more it starts making your head swim. I like what Derek Thomas said. <clears throat> he recently wrote a, a great little book, by the way, on worship called Let Us Worship God. It's very helpful, brief treatment but covers the bases quite well. He said this, it is not legalistic to require compliance to something God requires of us. It's real easy to, for people to say when you're getting serious about keeping God's commandments, oh, you're a legalist. No, not in that sense, not in the pejorative sense. We are legalists in that we say with the psalmist, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. We're legalists in the sense that of Jesus when he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you want to call that legalism, go right ahead. But usually legalism has to do with trying to keep the law in order to gain salvation. And we know that's not true. We're not saved by our works, but by God's marvelous grace. So how can you be dedicated? Well, an obvious thing would be consistent attendance in worship services. Consistent attendance. I think some people would be shocked if they could look back on the past 52 Sundays and see how many times they were not in worship. 
people who would consider themselves faithful church members. And I'm not saying they're not worthy of being church members, that they're not faithful, but it would perhaps surprise you to realize how many times you really didn't make it and you thought you were doing pretty good. Again, there's no legalistic uh, mark here. Like if you miss one Sunday a month, okay. But if you miss two, shame on you. Well, we've got to keep all of that in context. But what we want to do is to be as faithful as we possibly can be. What if you're out of town? Well, seek to find another church to go to. If it's not a church that would normally be the kind you might go to, Presbyterian church, go to an evangelical church. Uh, today, for reasons I won't get into, my, my daughter and her family were thinking about uh, going to Charles Swindoll's church, which is not far from where they live. And uh, we've been there before, uh, we have, and uh, I've heard him preach many years ago in Southern California when we had General Assembly out there, and there wasn't a PCA church in the area. So we went to Chuck Swindoll's church, where he was at the time, and he became aware of that, and he welcomed all the PCA folks that were worshiping there to that day. And it was, it was a good service. I wouldn't agree with everything he believes theologically, but he's evangelical, and he preaches from Scripture. So I uh, we were able to truly worship the Lord. Sometimes that's going to happen, but that's the exception. It shouldn't be the norm. If you make vows to be con committed to your specific church, then it is incumbent upon you, and you ought to want to be here every time you possibly can. I remember my mother used to say that there were times when she didn't feel well, and she came to church anyway, and by the time she got home, she was feeling pretty good. Now, I can't guarantee that's going to happen to you every time. You may go home with the same headache you had when you came here, but you probably would still be able to say, I'm sure glad I went, headache and all. It's, it, it can be all too easy for us to make excuses, can't it? Uh, and we can become quite good at that. Or there are times when we travel. Those should be the exceptions, not the norm. It could be just plain laziness sometimes, which is not acceptable for us not to come. We just need to make this one of the highest privileges in our weekly routines. We ought to be able to say with the psalmist, I was glad when they said to me, we will go to the house of the Lord. So think about the times that you miss and are they, are they pleasing to God? Are they pleasing to God? Suppose you found out that you had cancer and the oncologist said, okay, you've got cancer. It's serious, but here's what you can do. I want you to come every Tuesday for 10 weeks and undergo chemotherapy. And you cannot miss or it will endanger your health. What would you do? Well, you'd do everything you could. You wouldn't miss one time. So how much more important, that's important, but how much more important is it that we do everything we can to not miss on Sunday? Well, I'm having company. Invite the company to come with you to church. 
tell them, you know, love you, glad you're coming, but we're going to be at church. Because it's that important. Keep, and then there's the idea of remembering to keep the entire day holy. It doesn't say remember the Sabbath hour, does it? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, special, separate. We've already seen that the two major purposes of the Lord's day are worship and rest. Worship and rest. So what activities fit into those? We already know what is involved in worship, but let's just focus on rest. It isn't limited to literal rest. You don't want to say, oh, I'm going to rest on the Lord's Day, all right, right through church. I'm not going to even go. Or I'm going to go halfway. I'm going to watch on live stream even though I could be there. So much easier. It's not the same thing. I'm glad we've got live stream for those who can't be here. But if it's because of those who won't be here, they don't want to be here because whatever reason, then that's another thing altogether. Rest. What can you do besides worship? How can you rest on the Lord's day? Well, the simple answer is make Sunday as different as you can from the other six days of the week. Make it as special as you can. Do as little as you would normally do during the week on Sunday. Now, I think rest physically as well as spiritually is, is primary here. You rest spiritually when you worship with God's people, but you can rest in the afternoon. You can rest literally as well as spiritually. I always tell people one of the holiest things you can do on a Sunday afternoon is take a nap. That may be the only chance you get to take a nap all week. That's fine. But you also want to build yourself up spiritually while you're physically taking a break from your normal activities. And so reading, catching up on your Bible reading, reading things that are interest to you or, or concern to you, whatever the need is in your personal life and how to deal with that from a biblical perspective. There are plenty of good resources to guide you through the scriptures on that or just study the Bible directly on that subject on your own. Prayer. And then there's works of mercy and necessity that the Bible talks about. We looked at um, Matthew 12 last week, last time, last week, and talked about how Jesus engaged in works of mercy and necessity on the Lord's day, on the Sabbath day. <coughs> and so he, he, he legitimized, it's okay to pick grain, the heads of grain, in order to eat. <coughs> You're not breaking the Sabbath if you stop and eat or do any essential things like that. What about work? There's an amazing passage in the book of Nehemiah that I wanted us to think about. It's the last chapter in Nehemiah. Nehemiah was involved in reforming the people 
of Israel. After they had been in exile, they were coming back from Babylon to reestablish, rebuild uh, in Jerusalem. Nehemiah was one of the leaders of that. And so he, he uh, pointed out to them some areas that they were failing to honor the Lord. And in Nehemiah chapter 13, I want to take the time to read this because it's that important. Beginning at verse 15, this is what he says. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians, Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing that you were doing profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. That says a lot to us, doesn't it, about commercial activities on Sunday. And every family, every individual has got to work this out in their own specific situations. You know, what long, whatever long list I might have of, of what I believe, how it applies to me on what is appropriate to do on Sunday and what is not appropriate in order to get the maximum blessing from it and please God at the same time, might not be exactly the same as it is with you. We speak of the works of necessity and mercy. That means that there are some things that you have to do on Sunday that are necessary. You can't put them off another day. Some people have jobs that require them to work on Sunday because of the nature of their job. Think about medical personnel who are manning our hospitals or emergency clinics on weekends. That's something that can't wait till the next day. People who are behind the producing of energy and, and our electrical grid and all of that, those are works of necessity. If you're a Christian, you would want to try to get a job where you wouldn't have to work on Sunday, obviously. And then you have to work that out, you know, uh, balancing out the responsibilities God has given you. It's not always easy, but we do need to do the, our best in that. What about cooking, eating out, shopping, watching TV or sports or being involved in a child's team sports on Sunday? You know, all of those things are things that uh, the less done, it seems to me, the better so that we can do more of the things that we know would be beneficial to us in the best possible way. It's a matter of priority. What's most important? What is in keeping with God's uh, word and what is, uh, where are there exceptions? The Bible allows for works of necessity and mercy. And what about those people who, who can't come to worship service because they're not physically able to. They're not sinning. No, they are, they're incapacitated. Maybe they're 
they've got a, a long-standing physical limitation, a disability. Maybe they're in a nursing home. Whatever the case, you know, if you can't be there physically, God understands that. I'm not talking about that. And then, before I move to the last thing, there is the proverbial ox in the ditch. I love what Reverend Gordon Reed once said about this. He was one of the um, founding pastors of the PCA, Gordon Reed, a wonderful man. He wrote a little book on the Ten Commandments, and he said this. He says, I've been told by multitudes of people that they have an ox in the ditch as an excuse for not attending church or for working on Sunday. Most of these folks have never seen an ox, let alone one that has fallen into a ditch. But allowing for the times when the ox is truly in the ditch, if that happens on a regular basis, the best thing for you to do is to either sell that clumsy ox before it hurts itself or you, or at least fill in the ditch, but not on Sunday. <laughs> a lot of wisdom there. Bottom line, make Sunday as special as you can. Focus on your spiritual and physical rest in Christ. Each Christian and then each family, as I said, has to work this out. There's a little verse, <clears throat> a little verse that says this, and I think it has a lot of wisdom in it. A Sabbath well spent brings a week of content and strength for the toils of the morrow. But a Sabbath profaned, whate'er may be gained, is a certain forerunner of sorrow. And then notice from your outline there, there must be expectation. Expectation. Here's the beautiful promise of God. In Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14, realizing, we need to realize what God's promise, what God promises us by keeping the Sabbath day holy. It's not nothing new. Isaiah dealt with this. Speaking to Israel, verses 13 and 14, last few verses of Isaiah 58. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure, and the footnote there in the ESV says doing your business, the focus is on your, from doing your pleasure, your business on my holy day. Your business, my day. And if you call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord, honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isn't that beautiful? A beautiful promise of blessing when we keep the Sabbath day. The Christian should not think of keeping the Lord's day holy then as a burden. The opposite is actually the case. Remembering what Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. There's a wonderful book. I don't know. I think you could still find it. Uh, it's a harmony of the Westminster standards. In columns, you've got the confession of faith, the parallel part from the shorter catechism, the parallel part from the larger catechism, 
by James Benjamin Green. He put these together. He was a, a minister and a, a seminary professor back in the 1800s. And he added commentary on these sections. And so the part on the Sabbath day contained a, a, a helpful statement. He said, man needs to pause for repairs it once every day for several hours and once every week for a whole day. After the wear and tear of six days, he needs time to lay down the tools of his trade and to straighten up, clean up, dress up, and look up. The Sabbath is one of God's best gifts to a weary world. Listen, friends, we live in a weary world, don't we? Oh, how weary. What is, what is a major way that we can, can uh, persevere through that and keep ourselves strong in Christ? It's remembering the Sabbath day. We look forward to each day. I was glad when they said to me, we will go in the house of the Lord. Psalm 122, Psalm 84. How lovely are your dwelling places. My soul longs and faints for the courts of the Lord. We should have the kind of joyful anticipation for every Sunday that children do for Christmas Day or their birthday. I think it would be wise if each of us, each of us stepped back from our weekly habits to re-examine how we view the fourth commandment and how we practice the keeping of it. I'm quite certain that all of us myself included, have inconsistencies in our use of Sundays. I'm quite certain that all of us have ways that we could keep the Sabbath day holy more consistently, more faithfully. But don't focus only on the negatives. Can't do this, can't do that. Because remembering the Sabbath day is ultimately a most positive practice. Here's what we need to do. First, confess where you fail to keep the Lord's day as you should. Think in terms of, of what scripture teaches us about it. What we ought to do to more, make the Sunday more distinctly holy and special. Confess that to God. You don't, don't wallow in that. Just acknowledge it to the Lord. Lord, we just really aren't doing a good job in, in that in this particular way, whatever it is. And of course, we cling to the promise of forgiveness when we do that. The blood of Christ was spilled on the cross for our sinful failures. That's why Jesus came and died and rose again for our sins so that we not only could be forgiven, but we could have the power to be obedient and more faithful to the Lord. And then learn to think of Sunday the way God designed Sunday to be. Think of it as a way of praising your Savior that you love and you know loves you and receiving from him, from his love, the blessings that he wants to shower upon you, that holy manna that he wants to shower upon you through your loving obedience. As with every one of the Ten Commandments, God in his love for us instructs us how to love him and how to love others. 
And those who are trusting in Christ as their savior from sin find joy and find freedom when they keep his commandments. Our true rest is found in Christ alone. I began with that, I'm ending with that. And let's be sure that we can say before God, Lord, I am seeking and I ask you to help me continue to seek to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have been faithful to us even though we often stray, even though we still struggle with how to live out the instructions you give us in your word. Help us to continue to labor, to find that real rest and to see how you have designed these commandments for our good. You've designed them so that we can reflect your holiness and be a light in this burdened and dark world. Help us, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>